Hello, 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 hello. I'm in. Okay. <clears throat> My name is uh, Robert Coyle, and I'm so happy to be with you here again. My wife wondered whether I was on staff here. I've been coming across so much lately. <laughs> it's lovely to be with you again and to share with you. Can I just uh, read you a familiar story that uh, Jesus told? There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in their whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here am I starving to death? I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he, he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on, put a ring on his finger and sandal on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Our Father, we pray that as we come together this morning that and look at your word that uh, you would come and whisper above my voice or any other voice that would dare compete with our thinking this morning and make this a time where we walk away having a sense that we've met with you and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I actually pay someone to torture me. His name is the dentist. And um, <clears throat> I don't know whether you've ever had an injection at the very back of your mouth. And you know where they stretch your mouth wide enough open to back a truck down there or put a sink with running hot and cold water. Um, but you know that feeling where they stretch your mouth open and then <clears throat> they get that numbing agent. And they rub it in that spot in the back of your mouth. And then almost like David Copperfield, the great magician, they produce the needle <laughs> from nowhere and jab, jab, jab in your gum as if it's a boxing bag. But I don't know what your dentist does, but actually isn't jab, jab. He puts it in and leaves it there. And I think to myself, are you digging for oil or something like that? And then... Uh, 
the bit that I, I hate most is that growing numbness along your jawline and you get, it's like a creep, isn't it? Um, and it goes up until uh, your ear, right or left ear, goes numb. And I was thinking that the numbness that creeps up the jawline of our life can come in many and varied forms. Uh, for example, I think it can come in a marriage where once there was something there and it's just not the same and you can't explain it, but there is a numbness there. Or sometimes um, it just seems that one week seems to follow after another week and another week. And maybe there's a highlight of a new purchase. You may even get a new car, new outfit, new house, tickets for the finals. Gives you a momentary buzz, but somehow one, lie, one week just runs into another. And there's a numbness that seems to creep into the jaw of our life. And for those of you who are my age and older, whose hair is my colour, um, I often wonder, as we get older, whether there are times that we can say to ourselves, is this all there is? And the numbness creeps not only into our lives but into our souls. And sometimes it can be just the sheer busyness of life that seems to propel one week into the next week into the next week. And that busyness may even take the form of much Christian service within the context of the four walls of this church. But even then, the busyness seems to bring a numbness creep so that it's like you are performing activities and your relationship with Jesus has gone numb. Why is it that there are times when we feel seemingly unexplainably, and we would never want to admit it, but maybe bored or depressed or dissatisfied. And it's like a, a bad taste in your mouth and not even a silo full of sugar will get rid of that taste. There's a, a quote, and I, I bet many of you have heard this quote, by the great French physicist Blasé Pascal. You've heard this, haven't you? He says this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing. We could also put activity in there. But only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. I like that. Because I think it explains why sometimes in my own experience, in the jawline of my life, uh, that life seems to be fading and there's a numbness there because in some way, in some form, in some manner, God is not at his rightful place where he should be invading. And why is it? Um, how familiar are you with the story I just read this morning? You go, can you, I picture this scene, a um, country table in a country house, family gathered around it, 
and they're breaking a bit of bread here and buttering a bit there and tucking into their evening stew and there the youngest son said something which is quite profound in that parable. He says, give me my inheritance. And in those first two words of give me, we see one of the reasons why it is that you and I experience numbness. Give me pleasure, give me anger, give me comfort, give me perversity, give me addiction, give me excessive Christian activity that makes me feel good about myself, give me revenge, give me sexual looseness, give me plain old self-pity, give me some more doubt. That give me, which can be part and parcel of the fibre of our heart, if allowed to invade it, will bring that numbness to our heart. And you know that old verse, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to our own way. When we go our own way, we're lost. And isn't it funny that, that I, as a 74-year-old, who came to know Christ at the age of seven, that's a fair while ago now, has moments when I can feel lost. And because I've been a Christian for so long, I am outstanding, I'm gifted at hiding that from you. And I bet you're not bad either. Because when we allow in any form, in shape or form in our life, to allow that give me to become part and parcel of our life. It's like a clear bowl of water with one drop of a red dye sinking down into it and it flavours everything and the numbness comes. I don't care if you have 20 World Vision children on your list. If you are living a give me lifestyle in any part of your life, the numbness will be there. You may serve in the church, you may support the Red Cross, you may be involved in Meals on Wells, you may even take a small group, but if this morning, regardless of how long you have known Christ or not known Christ, you sit there and the beat of your heart maybe you haven't even recognised it, is give me, give me, give me, the numbness creep will come. Why is it then that we need, in the words of Pascal, to let Jesus invade the totality of our heart so that that numbness can be removed? It's funny, um, I prayed for about three or four weeks, what I should preach to you guys. I don't know whether you ever have this. Do you ever pray and it seems that God doesn't answer? I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, well, I share with these guys at Eltham. And I sat out and I tried to work out a sermon here and a sermon there. Nothing came. And um, it came towards the end of, the, of, uh, of our Friday last week and uh, I'm saying, Lord, what am I going to share with Eltham? I can't just get up there and sing, otherwise they'd be gone in two minutes. 
what will I do? And the words that came to me in the middle of the night, actually, was Jesus. And then I thought, and I don't do this much, I thought of a sermon I preached way back in 2011. And in that sermon, I wrote, and I'm no poet, (laughs) but I wrote a bit of prose about my reflections on Jesus. And hopefully this will help you understand why it is that we need to have him in our lives. Let me read it to you. Bear with me. James died by the sword for him. Paul was beheaded for him. Bartholomew was flayed for him. Peter was crucified for him. And his name is Jesus. He rules from a throne in heaven, yet cried as a baby on earth. He sculptured the rocky mouse of Everest, yet lay as a baby in straw in cattle's food. And his name is Jesus. He stilled storms, he stirred the religious, he embraced the poor, he released the chain, he condemned the hypocrite, he forgave the wretched, he healed the blind, the lame, the sick, yet let perish the sinful, unrepentant, and his name is Jesus. He held a child, yet released a demon. He removed a tear, he restored a smile. He cleansed a temple, yet built a life. He confronted the religious, yet comforted the humble. He lifted the helpless and inspired the hopeless, and his name is Jesus. The politically powerful could not control him. The smartest words couldn't trick him. The darkest plot couldn't foil him, and the grave could not hold him, and his name is Jesus. He condemned, yet he defended. He let go, yet he saved. He waited, yet he sought. He healed, yet he bled. He was altogether beautiful, and yet he was altogether ugly, carrying our sin, and his name is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the way, the truth, the life, the vine, the Lamb of God, the Word of God, and the coming King. And his name is Jesus. His back was lashed. His face was punched. His feet were nailed. His hands were scarred. His side was pierced. His brow was thorned. His body was stripped. His heart was broken. His cross was for me. And his name is Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We need Jesus. I love Jesus. Are you afraid to say it? Are you ashamed to speak it? Are you too angry to think it? Are you too cool to lift it? Are you too busy to embrace it? Or are you too comfortable to announce it? I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Does that make you awkward? Does it make you cringe? Does it make you embarrassed? Does it make you ashamed? Can you say it? I love Jesus. Does Jesus burn like a fire in your bones? Does Jesus explode like a bomb in your heart? Does Jesus erupt like a volcano in your words? Does Jesus stain like beetroot in your behaviour? Does Jesus reign like a king in your thoughts? Can you say, I love Jesus? Jesus aches for the drunk, the pervert, the liar, the hater, the greedy, the cheat, the adulterous flirt, 
the unfaithful, the gossip, the manipulator, the controller, the perpetrator, the weak world, the undisciplined, the selfish and the money waster. Jesus loves them all. And can you say, I love Jesus? And do you know Jesus? Or do you know about Jesus? Do you know about pistachio ice cream but never have tasted it? Do you know about skydiving but never have done it? You can know about the Queen of England, but never have spoken to her. Do you know Jesus, not just know about Jesus? Or did you know Jesus, but now you just know about Jesus? You know an old school buddy, but now you just know about him. You know an old sweetheart, but now you just know about him. You can even know a parent, but now just know about him. Do you know Jesus or do you just know about him as you sit here this morning? Only Jesus can fill that God-shaped vacuum in your heart and remove the numbness creep in the jawline of your life. Oh, I should. Why should we trust and put our life into the arms of Jesus? Well, come with me. Come with me to a hill. Have a look at it. Some say as you look at it from a distance, it was the shape of a skull. Others say that on the road that led up up to the hill, there strewn along the side were old skeletal bones of people who'd been executed in the past with skulls here and there littered along the side of the road. Whatever it was, this hill was a hill of execution and a hill of death and that's where Jesus is. Can you hear it? Can you hear the... The, the hammering of the wood on the nail through the fleshy palms and shins of the Lord Jesus? Can you hear the thieves on either side cursing and swearing? Can you smell it? Can you smell the sweat and the blood on that cross? Oh, but can you smell also... <sighs> in the atmosphere and anger of the religious leaders who just want Jesus dead. Oh, no, look over there. Can, can you smell the, the sorrow and the bewilderment and the confusion of those women, those followers of him? Can you see in their mind that he held children? He walked on water. He fed people. And now he's on a cross. Can you see the absolute confusion? And the sorrow that just drenched the air in that day? Take it in. Come on, take it in in your mind's eye. Digest it. Gaze on it. God's son, limp, dying. And then he turns his head upwards and falling from his lips comes that well-known cry, oh, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? And why didn't Jesus, who controls the winds and the storms and the earth-shattering shakes of this world of ours, why didn't Jesus come down from that cross? Because you know, and I know this morning, that it wasn't nine-inch spikes through the palms of his hands and through his shins that held him there. It was his love for you. How dare we sit here this morning with a give-me lifestyle and not trust our life again into his hands. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. This church needs Jesus. Tell me, have you um, you ever walked through a pigsty? I went up to northern Victoria many years ago and I could smell the big star from about 5k away before I arrived. Double decker pigs in a metal shed in a temperature of about 40 degrees Celsius. When I walked in there, the pig farmer said, put on these plastic clothes. I said, why? He said, the stench is so strong you will not get it out of your clothes. So I did what he said. And I walked in there and honestly, I felt as though someone had assaulted my nostrils. The, the, the stench was so strong. And, and can you see, <laughs> Jesus paints this picture of the prodigal son, a Jew amongst pigs and the stench as he fights for the pig pods. And then he says something very significant, which was to change the course of his life. He says this, I'm going to go back to Dad. And you know what I'm going to say to him? I'm going to say to him, make me as one of your servants. Did you pick it up? When he's sitting at the table over here, it was give me. And when he's sitting amongst the pigs and he recognises the mess that his life is in, he says, make me. Make me. I don't know about you this morning, but there are some weeks when I have give me moments that I don't deal with. And the longer I take to deal with it, the more the stench there is in my own life. True? You know what I'm talking about. And you know, like I know, that what we need to do, if we want this church to be touched and to grow in a way that it stands like a beacon in Eltham, then you as an individual member of this church, it starts with you saying, Lord, make me. Make me. I don't know, have you ever seen these things? Um, seen those? Ever seen those things? They still make them? I don't know, they still make them, I don't know. We used to use them as games with kids. <laughs> um, most frustrating thing if you 
having a race with a five-year-old because they beat you every time. But, you know, different shapes go in, in different spots. You know that. Um, and that, that shape, sort of the shape of the cross. Um, interesting thing is it, it doesn't fit in there, does it? It, it doesn't fit in this shape here. Oh, well, this shape, there is only one spot that, that this will fit in. It's in that shape there. Jesus is the only one that can fill that shape in your life. And for that to happen, there must be the cry of make me. Will you pray with me? And if in the quietness of this moment there's been that still, small whisper of that Jesus who we love so much saying, hey, let me fill your life again. Why don't you pray something like this? Lord, forgive me for where I've been saying give me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I want to turn from that. Tell him that. Lord, forgive me for where I've been saying give me. I want to turn from that. And then say to him, Lord, I want to thank you for the cross again. That it's there that forgiveness comes to me. Thank you for that. Thank you for the cross. And then will you say, and oh Lord, again I say to you, come and make me. Make me into the person that is going to bring great glory to your name. Make me. You tell him that. Father, you see every heart that is bowed before you this morning. And you know why they have had to hear this message this morning. And I pray for those that have responded in their heart this morning that you would seal that prayer and that you would grant to them the strength and the courage to not only speak of it to others but to live it in the days that lie ahead. And all of God's people said, Amen.